This is the Pants Off Podcast. Take your pants off. Take your pants off. Where you never need ask for a wet nap because there's no need to be classy. You are listening to the Pants Off Podcast, everything music, arts, and entertainment, just two people having a conversation about the latter and all other kinds of professional doing unprofessional bullshit. My name is Brian Campos. Pants Off Podcast is a free podcast coming to you whenever I have time to put them out. Here, a stream must download us for free on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Mobile users download those apps. Subscribe, follow, rate, review. How? Ever it is you choose to listen to us, whether you're sautéing onions, eating funyuns, or shaving down bunions, whichever way you choose to do so, I want to let you know that I do appreciate it. We are on social media. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send me all the emails. Pantsoppodcast at gmail.com. Send me any information about your projects, bands, upcoming shows, links to your pages, or you just want to say buenas noches, I'll be sure to check them out. I want to welcome any new listeners and welcome back any old ones. If you like what we're still doing here, tell your friends about us. Share those links on social media. Bring it up as a hot topic of conversation at your next bridge club. Let's get the word out there. Winter is gone. Spring is here. Summer will be here before you know it. And with summer comes a whole lot of concert announcements. This year's 8035 lineup. Always a slew of divisive opinions on that one. Some like it, some loathe it. This year, for me personally, is probably the most excited I think I have ever been. You have Liz Fair and Lissy. Two incredible women I've wanted to see for some time in the case of Liz Fair since I was like eight. Also, you have Murder by Death, a band that only until recently I've kind of re- realized are actually quite a favorite of mine i mean i've never hated them i've always liked them but i've realized how i've seen them a lot and in like different states over the past 15 years i've probably seen them more times than bands i actually consider my favorites i think check all that out if you want 8035 is happening july 12th and 13th in the western gateway in downtown des moines a couple more concerts i'm personally looking forward to is baroness at woolies on july 24th they are an incredibly powerful band to see live if you haven't i strongly suggest that you see them another one i'm also very excited to see is the reunited jaw box they are playing first avenue in minneapolis on july 26th I've been waiting a very, very long time for that one. I'm also planning on going to see Noel Gallagher and Smashing Pumpkins in Chicago in August. So that's pretty much my summer coming up in a nutshell. Another big Des Moines area concert coming up is Tool in just a couple of weeks at Wells Fargo Arena on May 17th. I'm on the fence about that one. I don't think I'm going to make it. I saw Tool once in 2002, so I think I'm pretty good on that one. I guess I'm cool like that. Also at that one about 18 years ago, Tomahawk opened that one in Ames, and I personally think that they were a better band that night but that's just my opinion but you know who's not a tool my guest today andy hall longtime radio jock and music director for prominent iowa contemporary rock radio station laser 103.3 andy hall not a tool but he plays a lot on his show but i couldn't resist andy as it turns out very personable guy like a lot of you for the past 20 years i've only known him by voice and by name being one of the more distinguished personalities on laser me being a young lad in the late 90s and early aughts before the explosion of the internet listened to a lot of radio to find the new shit i wanted to listen to the two major contemporary rock and alternative stations at that time were laser 103.3 and the revered 107.5 and at one time there was a rivalry between both stations that got pretty nasty at some points and involved the music scene pitting people and bands against each other and at one time very early on saw Slipknot firing shots in the mix of course not literally but the tension was there and it was a very interesting and important time in Des Moines music history well eventually Laser won the war and the dot sadly disappeared but a very important cog in the laser machine over the years was Andy. He channeled all of his passion into making it the successful station it has become. Andy transplanted here in the year 2000 from Minneapolis. He assimilated himself into the community, and he's pretty much one of us now. We talk all about his journey here, his accidental happenstance into broadcast journalism, the highs and lows and subsequent ending of Laserfest, the current state of radio, and some of his favorite local bands, and, lest I forget, interviewing fucking Metallica and becoming 
becoming pals with some of those guys. It's fucking insane. One thing on here that he stresses near the end, and I think it's important to reiterate or iterate up front if that's the correct usage of that word. Andy is the music director at Laser. He helps decide what gets played. It's not a corporate playlist coming from LA. And so whether or not you like or dislike his role or what gets played on Laser, regardless, he tells us on here, no matter the genre or your perception of Laser as a rock station, if you are a local band and you're interested in getting some airplay, send him your shit. They play a local track once a day. So don't be shy about it. It's not a lost cause. Andy will try to help you in whichever way he can. He's passionate about local music. He's a sucker for other people's passion. He isn't all about rock all the time. He even says so on here. He's on Facebook and Twitter at Andy Hall Radio. So hit him up. This was a great conversation. Of course it was going to be. He does this for a living, so it wouldn't fucking suck, right? But it's always a thrill for me to flip the script on a journalist and put them on the other side for once, letting his or her hair down and let them just be themselves. I'm going to play with the song by the band Waiting for the Fall. The song is called The Lines You Draw, a band that Andy played bass in for a while. Although I think Snakehead played bass on this recorded version, but fuck it. It seems appropriate. One quick show note obviously we're still alive we're still kicking we're not dead yet and doing episodes like this one reinvigorates me it makes me happy that over the years it's been able to reach people like andy who i admire as a real quote-unquote broadcaster so let's tighten the gears and rev the engine on this pants hot podcast episode 123 andy hall take um fan of your show like you you have no idea you know you've turned me on to a lot of bands i would have never known about really yeah oh yeah and unfortunately yeah i've been out of it myself so i'm like just like jumping back into it yeah so i know how that goes you know when i started my wife and i started having kids i i felt like i was totally unplugged yeah you know Mm -hmm. and they get older and i start you know, the leash starts to unloosen a little bit from my neck and <laughs> I can get out and enjoy myself a little more. Right. Kind of how it goes. So the other thing the one thing that just popped up well, a couple of things when I was trying to find you and I knew I, I like we were connected on social media somehow, but there's another Andy Hall oh, in Des Moines <laughs> and I hit him up. Oh no. <laughs> Oh no. Okay, so I know him. He's a, he's a, he's a he's just he's fine. Yeah. But he and I couldn't be more opposite in terms of like personality, in terms of lifestyle and like we are so opposite yeah. that I get a lot of that where people are like friends with him somehow on social media and they get confused and they think that some of the things he pops off and says on social media are Is me, you. Yeah. which Makes me look like, I'm sorry, father of the year in some cases. <laughs> and, you know, and like I said, he's a, he's a nice guy. I've met him. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, his social media presence couldn't be more different than mine. Right. Yeah. And I realized that, like, after I sent it, and I was like, I think I might have sent it to the wrong. And then I was like, I'm friends with two Andy Halls. 
And I was like, yeah. That, and then he like unfriended me right away. So my like, question, oh, yeah, my, my question is, is how annoyed is he that this shit probably happens all <laughs> the time to this guy? I'm so sorry. It's okay. Like, it shouldn't be something I apologize for, but it's like, you know, yeah, there's two of us, I guess. But, yeah. you know, if you if you just pay attention, you know that there's a big difference. Right, right. So, I don't know. <laughs> Um, you come up. You come from uh, up north, huh? Minneapolis, born yeah. and raised. Yeah. Were you Were you kind of always around? But there was like a pretty vibrant music scene up there. For still is very. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing, Brian, is that I became acquainted with my first Des Moines, Iowa-based bands thanks to some of my favorite Minneapolis-based bands before I even moved down here. Like Smack Dab? So, like, Smack Dab's a good example, but an even better example is when American Head Charge, for example, would do a show. A lot of times they'd bring 35-inch Mudder along for the oh, ride. Oh, right, right, So right, I became right. a fan of Mudder because of that. And through Mudder, I learned about the feud between them and Slipknot. Mm-hmm. And also, like, Slipknot, I could, I could be that guy before I moved here. Yeah. Then when I moved here, I realized the beef had sort of been squashed by then. Mm-hmm. Slipknot went on to sign their deal just before I arrived here in Des Moines. And, you know, Mudder, it, it, it didn't end up working out the way that they had hoped, I think. But uh, right. when I came down here, the, the idea was, well, it used to be you had to choose. Mm-hmm. You couldn't be one or the, you couldn't be both. <laughs> but I was from Minneapolis. I was this dumb kid that didn't know any better. Yeah. So the funny thing is, is... The relationship that had been so bruised and battered between Slipknot and the radio station I got hired to work for, mm-hmm. Laser 103.3. Because they were dot guys. Big time. Yeah. Um, by then, Sophia had already left Des Moines for mm-hmm. Council Bluffs. The Slipknot guys were already doing OzFest and making waves. And I was, like I said, just this dumb kid who arrived from Minneapolis said, I like you guys. Yeah, I have and no I stake this, in the game. Yeah, I, I work for this radio station, and I would love it if you guys would come and play radio sometime. Yeah. Because one of my first goals upon arriving here in Des Moines was to give Laser what I thought it was missing at the time, which was a metal show. So Corey Brown and I, a former guest of yours, yeah. came up with this idea to launch this show called Agroculture mm-hmm. back in 2001. And through some channels, I ended up lucking out and getting guys like Paul Gray, guys like Corey Taylor, Joey Jordison. These guys came on the Laser Airwaves, which before that had been completely unheard of. Right. I had a really funny conversation with Corey and Clown a while back about how things used to be. And Corey called me the Band-Aid. Really? He said, you're the guy that <laughs> patched this up because it had been such a beef for so long. Like I said, I was just a dumb kid. I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. But it all worked out. And now we're all friendly, of course. Yeah. Know? So Yeah. Uh, just those old old beefs that are hard to squash, I guess. Yeah. So through this, through this metal show that Corey and I were doing, we would have the guys from Slipknot on when Cameron and or Chad would come down from Head Charge and hang out because they did that a lot back in, that, back in those days. Mm-hmm. You know, they would come on the show to the Hatebreed guys when they were in town with Slayer. That was kind of our first agriculture present show with Slayer and Hatebreed yeah. at the Seven Flags Event Center. And so, I mean, we kind of did something Laser had never done before, and it was a lot of fun. Who, who was on that show again? It was Corey Brown and myself. Oh, uh, no, no, the, the one at Seven Flags. Oh, Hatebreed, uh, Hatebreed opened for Slayer on that oh, particular show. Wow. Yeah, and that was like our first presents as the metal show, you know? Mm. Because Laser may have been involved, may have given away some tickets to a show like that, but they wouldn't yeah. have like put a presents on it. Oh, yeah. But because we had this metal show and we were playing those bands, we were flying that flag, you know, mm-hmm. um, it made sense. And we had our name on the ticket face and everything. It was cool. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> it isn't like uh, some like sometimes it was a little bit weirder when it was like later on, it was like Laser presents 311. And like they don't even play 311 at all, which I thought was interesting. But. You know, it's funny. Like since I've been here, you know, the station has morphed over time and become a completely different station than it was when I first started here. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is music in Mm -hmm. general um if you're not being relevant with the times and what's going on in music in general and where people's passions are you're not connecting with your audience anymore right so while we still have elements of what laser was in the minds of our listeners when i first started back in the year 2000 here in 2019 it's a different ball game right so if we put our name on a 311 show it's not as weird now as it was then Mm -hmm. yeah 
It was more, uh, I guess, at that time, what, like, I would say contemporary alternative rock for the time? Yeah. I mean, remember the, ago? remember the time, you know, when Laser first launched in 1996. We were just the answer to what KGGO had been trying to do, mm-hmm. but we added this edge that Des Moines hadn't seen before. I wasn't here for that. They were, they were a little bit harder. Like, Dot was the thing for a while. I listened to a lot of Dot like when I was in like seventh grade in my parents' bedroom forever and ever, uh, listening to Sophia. And then when Laser came, it was cooler because there was less commercials and it was more of like that like 120-minute stuff that you were seeing late at night and just a lot of it, which is why we started listening to it a lot. I got a, I got a story about 120 minutes if you want to hear it yes. later, later. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember that time was... An interesting time musically, because remember, this was when bands like Korn started to come around, and then bands like Linkin Park and Limp Bizkit came around, and the whole new metal thing happened, and that mm-hmm. was a hot thing for a minute there. So when I think of where we were when I first started and where we are now, like I, I think music, first of all, is, is way different than it was. Again, there's still elements, but it's it's just different. <laughs> the 120-minute story, just real quick, a, a good friend of mine named Kurt Steffick, who... Uh, has worked in the record industry um, most recently for Razor and Tie Records, um, was like the chief programmer for that show. Oh, really? Back in the day for yeah. MTV. We've had lots of cool conversations, he and I, about... Because <laughs> I used to watch that, too. I'm right. a big fan. So Growing up in the MTV generation. It's funny how small the world really is, though. Like Between what we do in radio, I mean, radio is getting smaller by the day, sad, sadly. But the record industry is even worse, if you can believe that. I, I, I kind of can, just based on... A little bit on the outskirts of what I've heard and read and seen. But growing up in Minneapolis, you guys had like 93X, right? We had 93X, but before we had 93X, we had your equivalent to what the dot was here was Rev 105, which was my favorite radio station growing up. What Uh, kind of stuff would they play? Oh, my God. (laughs) Think of the most eclectic mix. They could go from playing Pantera to Sam Cooke. Really? (laughs) To... Stevie Ray Vaughan to Stevie Wonder. Wow. And then you'd hear the Beastie Boys into something like Bobby Womack. It was the most eclectic station I'd ever heard, and I loved it because that's the music I grew up on. My dad, God rest his soul, had an amazing taste in music. So did my mom. Mm -hmm. My mom still does. But those records that I grew up on, it was a variety of things. It wasn't like my dad was a rock guy. Yeah. He listened to Motown. He listened to a lot of the old 60s and 70s R&B stuff that I mentioned, Bobby Womack. He's one of my favorite singers of all time. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, Roberta Flack, you know, mm-hmm. like this is where I got to know that music, and um, and it helped shape my taste even to this day. That's awesome. Yeah. What kind? Of, uh, what were like some of the first shows you remember going to living up there? Boy. <sighs> For me, I didn't really start going to shows until, I mean, my first show was in 1993. Two or three. It was Metallica at the Metrodome. Mm. And I was brought to that show by an older cousin because at the time I would have been way too young. My parents <laughs> my parents would have never allowed that. Right. Yeah. So I went and saw it was Metallica, Guns N' Roses, and Faith No More. Oh, nice. First concert ever. That's crazy. Yeah. So where do you go from there? That's right. why I'm having trouble remembering what else happened. <laughs> But we had such cool venues that once mm-hmm. I got to a certain age, like I was hitting up the fine line, I was hitting up the Fox Fire at the time, and um, First Avenue, of course, the 7th seventh Street Entry. I mean, so many great bands, not only out of Minneapolis, but they brought in national acts too. And the cool thing was, was when I moved here to Des Moines, to Des Moines Harry Mary's was sort of in that same vein, and that's kind of where I got my start socially here. I was introduced to a lot of really cool people. Thanks oh, shit. to Harry Mary's. Yeah. yeah. Like Gus was one of the first people I ever met. Oh, nice. And he and I became really good friends. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, the new kid in town, I'm just trying to meet people. And again, I'm, I don't know nothing. Yeah. You know, he always, he did the same thing for me when I started coming around. He is that he had that very hard exterior, but would have a little soft spot for the new kid who wasn't polluted by all the assholes and politics. And yeah. Like there's, that. there was so much of that like jaded nature to people at Harry Mary's Mm -hmm. that I saw a little bit later on down the line. But at first everybody was really welcoming. Yeah. And I might not have known it at the time, but they might have 
let it pollute their opinion of me that I worked for the radio station that I did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because a lot of the bands Gus would book at Harry Mary's weren't bands we were playing on Laser. Mm-hmm. But this was stuff that I was into. I mean, thanks to him, High on Fire, Clutch, Gunship 666. I mean, these are all shows I saw in my very early days here. High on Fire was one of the loudest shows I think I ever saw. What I forget what year it was I saw him play. It was in like 2003 or 2004, one of the only times. And they just won a Grammy, which yeah. is fucking insane. I know. Well, that, <laughs> believe me, when I have an opportunity to mention a band like High on Fire on my radio station, I'm on it because they deserve it, man. I love those guys. <laughs> Oh, I also the the question I always ask everyone was the and you kind of were talking about it uh, the first tape or uh, CD LP whatever the first one that you ever got. I owned a pretty extensive record collection as a yeah, kid. Really, I wore out a lot of my parents' record collection. Everything from Chicago, nice, still one of my favorites. Like those early albums with Terry Kath and a combination of Terry and Peter Cetera and Robert Lamb singing. It's just something about that. Oh yeah. It was everything from that to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and Prince's Purple Rain, Michael Jackson's Thriller. I think they issue Prince's Purple Rain in Minneapolis when you're, you know, seven or eight. If you didn't own a copy of Purple Rain, you were probably an import. Yeah, we all did. We were all fans, and Paisley Park, as you can imagine, was just a mystical place that nobody... Like um, that movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Mm -hmm. where Charlie's looking in the gate. And I'm talking about the old school version from the 70s. Yeah, He's looking inside that gate, and that creepy guy comes by and says, nobody ever goes in there, and nobody ever comes out. I always heard stories, though, of people like... I had friends who were transplants there later on who like got special clearance to go in and see him play like you know for two hours when he would do those little little special things yeah but very limited were you ever privy never privy to one of those never (laughs) never closest i ever got to prince was my mom won some concert tickets like years ago to see him live i didn't get to go oh i know but that was the closest (laughs) i ever got my mom got to go i had a friend through an old slipknot connection who dated someone who was his wardrobe uh person wow and i could have went like handfuls of time but back in 2005 it was just like i don't (laughs) care about prince and like now i'm just like i was a fucking idiot man that would have been so awesome not like i would have met him or wanted to meet him just to see prince play would have been fucking cool but i mean he was so underrated as a guitar player you know Jimi hendrix was a hero of his and Mm -hmm. nobody can ever touch jimmy of course but prince did his damnedest and watching him shred sometimes i was in awe not in person, of course. That would have been nice, Mom. But I saw plenty of prints thanks to being in that neighborhood, yeah. yeah. So what motivated you to go into radio? I think it was a case of just being at the right place at the right time. Although if I go far enough back, I could tell you that I think I was always destined to do it. Hmm. My uncle was a DJ in Minneapolis when I was really young. He worked for a legendary classic rock station that still exists to this day. KQRS. He also worked for Cities 97 when it was a long time ago, in the (laughs) 80s. And I remember being about eight years old and him at some family function talking about his job or whatever. And it was the first time I really put it together and thought, that sounds cool. And I said, I must have said something like that because he goes, and he had like, he had like one of those golden radio voices that I wish I had been blessed with. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he he's like, why don't you come to the station sometime? Check it out. Come hang out with me. <laughs> and I was like, can I? I think I was about eight. And my mom and dad allowed me to do it one night. And I remember walking into that room and just being blown away. All the lights and like flashing things. And I didn't know what anything did, of course. I just knew that there was a microphone there and my uncle was on the radio and it was super cool. I forgot about that for many years. Um, I was a meteorology major when I first entered college. Wow. I was also a collegiate athlete. I was a football player. Oh, yeah. University of North Dakota. I had some things happen that year that made me want to be a little closer to home. Hmm. Lost both my grandparents. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a tough year. Hmm. And so I transferred to a school closer to home, forgot about football, was kind of wandering aimlessly at that point, and got in to this dorm i was again the new kid in town <laughs> and i'm kind of lonely sitting in my dorm playing 
I don't know what, what game, Goldeneye or whatever it was at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, a guy walks by, sees me in there, doesn't know who I am, says, you know, who are you? <laughs> Hi, I'm Andy. I just moved here. His name was Ray, and he was carrying two of these huge Case Logic CD holders. You know, you remember oh, those? The, old the Case Logic ones? ones? Yeah. yeah. They were like our Bibles when they we go would, on road trips. Yeah. <laughs> they would hold like 500 CDs each, right? So he had two of them, one in each hand. And I remember asking him something very offhand, trying to be conversational, like, going on a road trip? <laughs> and I remember him saying, no, I'm going to do my show. And it just like light bulb. And I said, your show? He said, yeah, we have a radio station here, a living, breathing station, like broadcasts all over western Wisconsin and eastern Minnesota. I said, oh, my God, I didn't know that. How cool. Do you want to come hang out? Yeah. <laughs> I went up there with him. I was hooked. I finagled my way onto the air. My first show was awful. It was during an awful sh- – it was an awful air shift. It was a, a day and a time that most people weren't even on campus. It was a what they call a suitcase campus where a lot of kids lived in the Twin Cities or nearby. So Just they weren't even on, yeah. yeah, they weren't even on campus for most of it. <laughs> So dead phones and things, but I didn't care because I was just, I was right. doing my thing, but that's what kind of the seed that was planted at the time. And yeah. from there, I just made my opportunities one after another. Wow. Yeah. Did you have to like, was there like a certain program that you like had to get into and after that and classes and stuff that you had to take or was it just kind of like a. It was, it was strongly encouraged. <laughs> it wasn't something that was like, you must now be a broadcast journalism major. Right. But I did. I grabbed it. I said, all right, cool. So I'm a broadcast journalism major now. Mm-hmm. And I think I uh, took on a history minor just for shits and giggles. Yeah. <laughs> Fill out the schedule. Just because, yeah. So like a lot of my you know early generals had been taken care of in the, my previous year up in North Dakota. So luckily those credits transferred over and I got involved in college radio. I ended up uh, being sort of an assistant to our music director because he knew I was really into music. So he kind of let me help out a little bit here and there. And then I became the sports director at the station. So for a while I was doing play by play for the football, for men's and women's basketball, for men's hockey and baseball and got my feet wet kind of doing that, which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. But I think I always wanted to do the music thing. And that's when I got involved at 93X, made friends with Remy Maxwell, who is the best. And he sort of took me under his wing. I don't know why. Yeah. But he did. Again, new kid. I learned a lot from Remy. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a theme for me, I think. Stumbled upon something here, Brian. I had no idea. <laughs> Just this stupid, aimless kid, you know, and people have been taking me under their wing and teaching me things. And So a lot of a lot of pretty pretty lucky breaks and as you kind of progress through your career in broadcast journalism because i hear like when starting out it isn't the most glamorous for a lot of other people that are just like no i was homeless for a few days when i first moved here wow i mean my parents thought i was nuts for leaving school i had a semester left one semester to graduation long story short ozfest somerset wisconsin show that we always did Mm because i was part of 93x at the time and a guy named ryan castle was an employee there, a, a DJ, and he was also the music director. Ryan Castle was an employee at Laser 103.3 when the station, close to when the station signed on. I think he came on like a year after. He and I never crossed paths here, mm-hmm. but we did in Minneapolis. Uh, he was there, and up from Des Moines came a couple of people from the radio station, one of which was Joe Michaels, who, did, mid, who did Middays at the time. Yeah. And I met Joe, and her and I hit it off. And Ryan said, you know, we don't really have the hours here for you at 93X. We want to put you on the air, but we just don't have the hours. What do you feel, how do you feel about going to a place like Des Moines, Iowa, and sort of getting some hours, getting some experience, and maybe coming back? And I yeah. said, that sounds great. Can you hook that up? <laughs> and so he uh, called Sean Elliott, who was the, ra- uh, the program director at the time at Laser, and said, hey, I got this kid that <laughs> we think is one of us. You know, he, We think he's going to be pretty good. And he he knows his stuff and wants to do this radio thing. So what can you do? Sean brought me down here. We had some beers. That was my interview. <laughs> and then there was like a show in town. I think I think it was at Toad Holler. I don't remember who was it. Maybe it was Static X. Mm-hmm. And I think Index Case was opening or something. Probably probably happened. Yeah, I think that was the the bill that night. So there was a show in town that night. So we went to the show and Sean looks at me and goes, "Well, do you want to?" you want to be one of us? I was like, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so I went up, told my parents, I, I got to take this job. I can't, I got to leave school. I got to do this. They thought I was nuts. Yeah. One semester left. And, I would think the same thing. And maybe I was, but I packed up my little shitty Ford Tempo <laughs> of my, you know, 
three t-shirts and two pairs of jeans and two case logics full of CDs. That's about it. <laughs> I mean, I really had nothing. I came down with nothing. I didn't have a bed or anything. I did find because in the sort of early days of the internet, you could go on these websites and find roommates. <laughs> Yeah. So I went on this website and I found this dude who was looking for somebody to come move into his apartment with him and split the rent. Yeah. I thought that sounds fine because I had no money either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, okay, this sounds affordable. I didn't know anything about the neighborhood, anything like that. Right. Basically, this apartment was Lion Street, right off of I-235 there, just off where the Capitol is. Oh, okay. So yeah. just, what would that be? North of the Capitol mm-hmm. and right off 235. Come to find out later... Not the friendliest neighborhood. No, yeah. And the guy I hadn't met or anything or had a conversation with, he just knew I would be coming down there. He was like a middle-aged dude, really weird. (laughs) Gave me my key and said, there's your room. And it was just nothing. I had very little, Mm -hmm. so I had no bed, nothing. I would just, I threw my clothes down on the ground. I had a pillow and a blanket. I didn't have a bed. I slept on the floor um, for one night. The next morning after I woke up, I found a note under my door from this guy that said, hey, you might want to like head out ASAP. I think I pissed off the building manager and he's evicting me or something. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> right after I got, I'd spent one night in this place. And you're already out on the I'm street. I'm out. Yeah. So I slept in my car in a parking lot off of Fleur Drive, a hotel parking lot of all places. Because it was the only place I knew. That was where Sean Elliott put me up Yeah. when I came down for my interview a few weeks before that. So I only knew Fleur Drive, and I knew that particular hotel right by the airport. So Mm -hmm. I parked in that parking lot, slept in my car, worked a couple of air shifts at Laser, got my feet wet there, but I'd go right back and go sleep in my car until Joe Michaels found out about this somehow, and I must have smelled really bad or something. I don't know. (laughs) She, um, She was kind enough to let me come crash at her place. I think I remember Joe. I think she hung out at like Lucky's. For a while. Yeah. When that was still a bar before they pulled those that down. We loved Lucky's. <laughs> really missed that place too. But she um she was the one that sort of like took me in at, at her house and let me stay there until I figured out my situation. Long story short, a couple days later I made friends with another jock at the station and he had an apartment on the south side. So that's Perfect. that's where I ended up. Yeah. Yeah. But I So was you're homeless. back home. You're back home tonight. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. <laughs> So you were. We also talked about that too. But like first impressions, you know, you're the new kid, Slipknot, and 35 inch mutter, and like at that time, that was like a, a really core. It, but but they had already Slipknot. You said had already signed. They they had left. But because of that, there was that whole kind of trail uh, after that of of the, everyone always said either like the next Seattle. But I mean, other than that, like. People were hungry, and there was like a creative surge of metal bands at that time. What was like your impressions of everything, kind of, and especially working for like the major radio station, yeah. kind of mixing up in that. Dude, I dove in head first, and people didn't seem to care that I was a nobody. You know, they knew I worked for Laser or whatever, because that was the only talking point I had at the time. <laughs> Hi, I'm Andy. I do some overnights once in a while. <laughs> um, I just dove right in. There was a place called The View. I remember. Um, mm-hmm. down off of Southwest 7th and like... Be- uh, Thomas Beck? Yeah. I don't know what street that is there. Indianola Road? Indi- Indianola turns into Thomas Beck. It's a weird... I know exactly what right you're talking there, about you, there. I mean, you could sit on the rooftop of this place and see downtown. Mm-hmm. Well, they hosted bands there for a while, and I remember you know, all the battle of the bands that Corey Brown used to do with his local licks program back in the day, so we would do those at Toad Holler, and I would come along and play music in between the bands and like get on the microphone and... It was little by little, but I, I eventually became somebody people recognized when they went to a show. And I didn't care about all that except for the fact that I knew I was making some inroads in the scene. And that was important to me. When I first moved here, it wasn't so much about being some big deal. Yeah. It was about like getting to know like local musicians and things, things I did in Minneapolis, essentially. Mm-hmm. Became friends with a lot of local musicians and just bathed in that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever make it back up to Minneapolis to 93X like, as was part of the agreement, or did you did you just stay here? What's funny is about a month after I moved here, I got a call from Pablo, who was uh, one of the guys up there at 93X, and said to me something like, hey, I could probably scrounge up some hours for you now. How do you feel about coming back? By that time, I had already had conversations with Sean Elliott about 
like I've got plans for you basically. Mm-hmm. And that ex- that got me excited. More opportunities started coming my way. I was really starting to get to know people on the scene and really like them. And I didn't really want to move yeah. back home. <laughs> yeah, I was still kind of enjoying being away from that for a while. And so I told him, thanks, but no thanks. I'm good. Oh. I never heard back from Minneapolis. <laughs> I've heard from other cities, but not Minneapolis. Yeah. <laughs> Never Minneapolis. You're on the blacklist. Turn them down once and that's it. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it worked out for you a little bit. It's okay. Yeah. I'm perfectly happy here. Trust me. <laughs> when I tell people I've been here almost 20 years now, they're like, fuck are you still doing How here? How did you stay? Why? How can you deal with it? Yeah. Because I guess people are used to people like leaving. Yeah. Des Moines is like a place people leave. I don't buy that. Like, I've obviously. been here my whole life, unfortunately or unfortunately. I don't know. Well, but you know, there's also stories of, and I don't know if you fit this mold or not, but like people that leave for a while mm-hmm. and then find themselves back here for Coming whatever. Back. Yeah. Right. And and for good, you know, better or for worse, they're back in Des Moines. Yeah. And I don't know. It just feels like home to me. Mm-hmm. I've put down my roots here. I'm right. married. I have kids. Mm-hmm. I own a house. All that. <laughs> you know. You're stuck for a while. Yeah. I mean, you know, unless something <laughs> crazy lucrative comes along. Right. And, it has to be the right thing, but I, I just don't have a plan to leave. What were your thoughts kind of like when three or four years ago, five years ago, even now, like when, when podcasts started finding like traction, was that something as you as like a broadcast professional kind of like maybe looked your nose down upon? Because I, I've talked to other people around that time who were not so thrilled about it. We're like, oh, every asshole with a mic and a computer could start their own show and I, you know, have put in years and years like you have or they had like doing this so it was like found it as a personal affront <laughs> to their life like what did you feel about i think it? my experience has given me a pretty good bullshit filter and if i listen to something digital or a podcast of any kind i can tell within a few seconds whether it's gonna suck right and so i don't need to listen and i also don't need, I don't need to be the person that sits and bags on something just to be a contrarian i mean you know people that have a passion i'm a fan of that because i have passions Mm -hmm. and i've taken up podcasting in some forms you can be a broadcast professional and and do a a podcast or you can be a person with a passion and do a podcast if it sounds good and there's a motivation there to give good content that is interesting i'm gonna listen if it doesn't i won't that's that. Yeah. So, I mean, did I think it was like a threat to what we're doing? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I, I just think that technology is, I think it's exciting where it's headed. Mm-hmm. And I think that it gives more people opportunities where there once wasn't. And I think that's cool. I yeah. If people come up to me and say, and they're like super excited about radio and not in the world yet, you know, I'm, I'll spend hours with that person. Wow. telling them about my passion for this, you know, and what I love so much about it. Mm-hmm. I've had job shadow after job shadow after job shadow these almost 20 years here. And hopefully I've spread that passion onto them and they've gone on to take their passion and do something cool with it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the goal, you know. Do you ever get people who are like, why doesn't laser play so-and-so? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know that there's there's a lot more transparency to kind of how that stuff works, but it's not really rocket science. I mean, know your market. Mm-hmm. Des Moines is a very unique place. Our listeners are super unique. I couldn't go to any other city in America and pull together a group of listeners like we have. They're just different, you know, mm-hmm. and what they expect out of our station and what they love and what they fucking hate. Yeah. <laughs> but it goes with the territory, man. I'll tell you, golden rule in radio it, from day one has always been you can't please everybody. Right. But damned if I ain't going to try. If somebody hates something that we play, at least I didn't write it. And, and on that, like uh, Des Moines is a, a medium market and like a, uh, a tertiary market is what they call it. Um, and you kind of see it like as far as like, acts and stuff that we have coming to town or don't come into town and, and where things like like and i know you can't speak for all of, of why or how that happened but uh like like events like laser fest eventually kind of go belly up mm. is it because we just can't support it here do you think or or what were like maybe some of the f- factors i don't know because i'm just kind of 
bouncing off of that. Yeah. Of like, you know, we are, uh, we, we always kind of say that with a wink, like Des Moines is, is its own weird like town. And we're not saying that it's like, Oh, it's like Austin weird or Portland weird. It's like, it's just strange what people want and what they like and what they embrace and what they just don't give a shit about. <laughs> yeah. When things, I mean, when things were great with laser fest, they were amazing. Yeah. We had such a great time there for a number of years with anything else, you know, sometimes it's just the writings on the wall with certain things. And mm-hmm. I think in radio, especially keeping things fresh is really important. You know, I know there are some benchmark things that people look forward to each and every year. And laser fest was certainly one of those, mm-hmm. but things happen. Things out of our control. Mostly. Yeah. Like increased competition in the region. People started buying tickets to other festivals that are within reasonable driving distance. Yeah. And weren't necessarily buying tickets to ours. There's always going to be the person who brings up the fact that, you know, seems like you guys are bringing the same bands every single year. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't believe if I had a nickel for every time I heard that. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, is the packages that are out in that time of year are the packages that are out. Right. Okay. So you pick and choose. And when you get one, you're typically getting more than one, like mm-hmm. four or five usually. Yeah. Um, piecing together a festival from the ground up like we did is not a venture that I think everybody's got the the heart for. I'm proud of what we did. But I think in the end, when we decided to step away from it, it was the right time. And I look at attendance figures at club shows where people would pay 50 bucks for a ticket to see two, maybe three bands thriving. Attendance figures skyrocketed mm-hmm. at places like the Valor Ballroom and places like Seven Flags, and even the arena shows were doing well. And that was sort of vindication for us. You know, it was like, yeah, it was time to step away from that idea. Yeah. Even though we were giving people an incredible bargain, and I'll stick to my guns on this. I don't care if you don't like 50% of the bands we booked. $35 or whatever the price was initially when that first ticket price was released and you know email members get to take advantage of the early ticket price 15 bands or whatever it is on one day you know I, I'll never understand where the complaints come from yeah and then I look at people are more than willing to shell out the 50 bucks for two or three bands maybe at the seven flags for sure so yeah there's still a part of me that's it's tough I would have loved this thing to have just kept on steamrolling like it did mm-hmm. but nothing it, lasts forever nothing lasts forever man not even uh cold november rain so. <laughs> uh what were some of your favorite sets uh at laser fest that you saw oh see an stp headline that version 2.0 show back in 2008 that was the fucking shit that i that Dude. was i i didn't go i only went to maybe two laser fest yeah. that was like the first one yeah. because of that i drank all day <laughs> sobered up like twice and I remember, like, every second of that show. What you don't know is that we didn't even know if, A, they would show up. <laughs> B, if if they did show up, would Scott show up? And then C, we had some staging issues, I remember, that day. And I don't remember the specifics, but I'll give you a general ballpark. Where we had to delay that main stage for quite a while that day. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. We had some structural problems. <laughs> And that was like the uh, the first and only time at the Balloon Fields, I think, is what it was. Was no, it? Or no, no, we did we did a lot of shows did in Indianola. Yeah, the hmm. first one that we did in Indianola was 2003. Okay. Stained headline that show. It was the hottest day of the year. It was like 120 degrees in the shade. <laughs> well, people were dropping left and right. I mean, our broadcast, uh, we had an RV at the time. It was the air conditioned, which was really nice. Yeah. And we were right next to the medical tent, and it was packed all day with these mm, poor people. Who just dropping. Yeah, I mean, they barely got to the first few bands of the day, and they were already like out for the count. It's like, yeah, I remember my first beer, too. It sucks. Uh, but then, you know, we had a little bit of a hiatus there for Laser Fest. Yeah. We relaunched it in 07, back at the Indianola Balloon Grounds. 08 was a weird year. We had this opportunity to book Kid Rock. Initially, the idea wasn't to be Laser Fest, but for some reason, we ended up putting that name on that show. It was at Waterworks Park. It was only a few bands. It was on like a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And people thought it was weird. And for good reason. But we did our best with that show. And then had flyers ready to go for version 2.0, which was what everybody called the real Laser Fest that year. Because yeah. it was like 15 bands or whatever. That was in Indianola, the STP. 09 with Corn was in uh, Indianola. 10 was the first year we kind of expanded the grounds. Because we knew we had the best lineup ever that year. <laughs> 
Godsmack, Three Days Grace, Alice Cooper, Rob Zombie. You know, Five Finger Death Punch was a kind of a newish band at the time making noise. Drowning Pool, uh, who else was on that show? Seether, you yeah. know, Hailstorm. I mean, it was just a massive lineup, 2010. Right. So that was the first year we went to the f- two full-size stages right next to each other. And in 11, we did the same thing, had a shit weather day, <laughs> a shit weather month that led to a shit weather day, and we had mud everywhere at that show. That was the Avenged Sevenfold Stone Sour co-headline. Still in Indianola. Indianola didn't want us back in 12. <laughs> I don't know why. Honestly, I don't know. Did it have to do with tearing up the grounds and all that? Who knows? Yeah. In 12, we moved it to Boone, and we'd been done with Indianola at that point. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then the one year it rained so hard that it got moved to the arena, which yeah. was pretty insane. And I went to that one because Queens played, mm-hmm. and that was awesome. And I saw, like, when I, I showed up late. Because uh, I just I just wanted to go see Queens, and it, it, there was like a storm of people I remember coming out after Machine Head who were like, "We saw Machine Head, we're done," and they were like breaking the fucking like automated parking arms off <laughs> like the nationwide parking lot. I was just like, "Holy shit!" Like, yeah, they really love their Machine Head. <laughs> My favorite story from that day, and it was it was a cool show. Like, I had a lot of fun with Queens, and then Offspring was the other. Uh, mm-hmm. sort of co-headliner of that gig. My The funniest thing that happened all day was the fact that we were getting just killed about moving the venue. And we kind of did it last minute because, again, it was a shit spring for weather. We had gotten a ton of rain, especially right around the Central Iowa Expo area. The staging couldn't, it wasn't going to hold, the ground wasn't going to hold it. Yeah. We just knew that. So the arena was available, thank God. That worked out. But we were taking kind of a, a hit, you know, from mm-hmm. people that were just kind of like angry about stuff. Yeah, it's not uh, their festival, or right? For whatever. whatever. Yeah. So we moved into the arena, and the craziest thing is being backstage. I we had just introduced the Offspring, and I went backstage and I looked at a monitor where Ed Wilson was up there talking about tornado touchdown in the neighborhood of the Central Iowa Expo in Boone, and I go, oh. "There's our vindication right there. Thank <laughs> God we didn't do this show in Boone." <laughs> We had tornadoes going on that night. It was crazy. I, I was super thrilled just because I didn't have to drive for Boone to go see, to go see Queens. Yeah. <laughs> that was the other thing. Like, people were upset when we moved it from Indianola. I get that. You know, but yeah. again, things that are beyond our control sometimes, you know, and that was certainly one of those deals. And then, you know, once we got past the whole, like, we have to drive to Boone, that sucks. <laughs> A couple of years later, what? Now it's not a Boone anymore? Well, I got used to that drive. Now I got to go downtown. That sucks, you know. <laughs> it's just this is stuff we just hear all the time and you know people at the time social media was sort of exploding you know and and so everybody had an opinion and they all wanted lined up to share it on our facebook page at the time of course oh god we had i mean i had to force myself not to read that stuff half the time yeah i tried to respond to some people that i felt like i could have a conversation with but some people you just can't absolutely not yeah (laughs) do you think the radio influence on musical taste has uh, maybe sort of waned, or has it remained constant from, people, like, from like the you... days of like early Laser or like the Dot or ninety three X? I guess I don't know. Like I, I just remember it being maybe this is just me getting older. I don't know that it was more of it was more of a happening that you got everything. Well, I guess with like the explosion of the internet now, like the radio was the outlet or MTV. Uh, do you think that uh, the radio still, I mean, does or or can be like maybe like kind of like that that light of the torch that can like maybe guide people to for some find new things? I don't, yeah, I don't think radio is a primary source for discovery anymore. Mm-hmm. Nah, too many options out there, and it's okay because it's you know there are plenty of other reasons to hang your hat on a career in radio. Trust me. Yeah, I've got a lot of cool things I'm so proud of being a part of. You know, Holy White Hounds is a great, you know, like recent example of something I was involved with that went somewhere they didn't expect it to go. And Mm -hmm. like, it was really freaking cool. You know, like it's finding nuggets like that. It's being a part of something bigger. That's where I'm at in my career now. Whether or not people are tuning in just to hear that new song, whoever it may be by. I think those days are long gone. Yeah. You know, but they listen because, you know, they like the music. And we don't bug the shit out of them. Yeah. In some cases, they might actually like us, you know. Mm-hmm. We all have very different personalities on that station, I'll tell you what. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is, and it's not because we don't like each other, but 
we just don't all hang out at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you work all, together. We have very know, separate lives, all of us. Many hours a week plus. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's not, again, it's not like a, it's not because we don't dislike each other, but we just, you know, we're all very different people. Oh, yeah. We, most of us have kids now, <laughs> like, for example. Mm-hmm. None of us had that when we first started. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's long you know. gone are the days of going for beers after work or, or, you know, hitting up the party cove at Sailorville Lake, <laughs> Sean Elliott's boat. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, God, we had some fun times back then. Yeah. Through your, your two decades working in radio, you've made some 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 pretty pretty sweet connections and, and landed some pretty sweet shit, notably fucking Metallica. How, how did that even come to pass? Not well, saying it's like so unbelievable because, again, you've worked through it, but, but then just them flying you out. You doing the the you know the four part like expose on the radio like the history and shit like yeah that's crazy Brian I mean as you're like re- you're reciting this back to me I'm going <laughs> fuck I really did that <laughs> I'm still pinching myself dude because that's the that's the pinnacle for me and and I hope that there's bigger and better things still to come mm-hmm. I mean I'm not done yet but how did I get there fuck I mean I think it just began with being an interviewer that has a passion and is always prepared Mm -hmm. and makes an impression. And when their management team trusts me in a room with Lars Ulrich or in a couple of instances, Kirk Hammett or Robert Trujillo, or back then it was Jason Newstead, or, you know, I finally got the opportunity to interview James Hetfield for the first time uh, when they were in town at Newton a couple of years ago. I think I just, you, you gain a reputation through the band and through management and make some friends along the way that, you know, in my case, I had a guy that I met that does some uh, big, some large scale productions for radio that gets syndicated. And it started off with like, Hey, will you voice this? You know, whatever, do a good job and don't ask too much of them. Right. And they might come back and ask you to do more next time. I was actually in the running to host the hardwired to self-destruct album premiere special. Wow. Um, which was down to two candidates, me and the guy that ultimately ended up hosting that program, Corey Taylor. <laughs> you better believe when I found out they were giving that gig to Corey, even to be that close. Yeah. Because he got flown out to HQ and did something similar to what I ended up doing later. But at the time, it was like a heartbreak. I was yeah. so heartbroken. But You've I, already had so much. Just let me have I this. I know. I know. I'm, but but Corey and I have Corey and I have been really good friends for a long right. time, and so I was genuinely happy. But it was like I was this close. I just kept my nose down. I kept doing some cool right. stuff. I was asked by that same guy that puts the specials together, like, "Hey, I'm working on this thing for Metallica's tenth album release, Hardwired to Self Destruct," and I'm. Wondering if you're interested in writing a series of questions for specific members of the band for each of the 10 albums. I said, I can ask anything. He goes, yeah, they want you to be like direct and they don't want boring questions. And <laughs> they want you to ask specific members, specific questions. Why Make... did you turn the bass down? Yeah. <laughs> You'll never get a straight answer. Not even David Frick from Rolling Stone could get that answer. And he, he hosted the and justice for all radio special here recently, which, which I got to narrate, but I, Oh yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. So I was asked to write these questions, you know, and, and I did. And apparently they thought they were pretty good questions. The guys gave some really great responses. Mm-hmm. Everybody had access to this material. But I don't think anybody was motivated enough to use it in any great respect. And I thought to myself, you know what? These are my questions. Maybe I wasn't in the studio to ask that of them, but I have the audio of their responses to my questions. So this is an interview by proxy. Yes. I took all that material, and there was a ton of it. And I put those specials together Nice. out of that. And it was called Metallica in their words. Mm-hmm. So like act one was kill them all. Act two was ride the lightning. So I had all the series of specials, you know, that I aired on laser in the weeks leading up to the Newton show. Mm-hmm. And the timing couldn't have worked out better. Word got back to management that I had done this. Laser had turned into Metallica 103.3 and the band took notice of that. So all these things sort of came together at the right place in the right time. And I got this phone call that said, uh, start saying your prayers or, you know, to whatever God you worship. <laughs> because Save your uh, vitamins because you're be- going to San Francisco. Because we are strongly considering you for the Master of Puppets radio special. And I didn't know where they were going to send me. I didn't know what, you know, all the semantics were very last minute because that's how Metallica rolled. Like, 
especially Lars. Like we're, they're waiting on him. He just moved into a new house. That was the original plan. They were going to fly me out to um, San Francisco. I was going to go to Lars' new house that he had just moved into and do this interview with him. Fortunately, it worked out where I could go to HQ in San Rafael, which was like a dream come true for a Metallica fan because yeah. not everybody. We talked about Paisley Park earlier. HQ is really my Paisley Park. Really? I mean, I'm a lifelong Metallica fan. Mm-hmm. Lifelong. So, yeah, even hearing you recite that back to me, I just I got that <laughs> shit-eating grin on my face, Brian, because <laughs> I still can't believe that happened. I It did. It yeah. was, and, and I went in there, and I did what I always do. I was prepared. I let the conversation go where it needed to go without being too rigid, but I had a definite idea where I wanted to go. That's my MO with every interview I ever do. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to... Everybody. I mean, yeah. I do a lot of interviews. I listened to back. It was a little while back, but uh, it was uh, when you interviewed Jericho. Yeah. And because uh, I'm a big wrestling mark like that. But, Hell yes. But uh, the difference, I think, between your style of interviewing versus a lot of the radio style interview of just, uh, you know, oh, hey, that sounds really good, man. Uh, so you're, you're uh, it's coming up then this Friday. Uh, really cool stuff going on over there. Like, you know what I mean? That that typical cliche DJ stuff. Do you get leeway from that? Or do people fall into traps like that? Because you're a lot more relaxed than, than a lot of that yeah, stuff that I hear. It's not easy, let me tell you. Because in this day and age, it's like, grab the listener's attention. Keep it there. Keep it there as long as you can. Do not let it go. Grab them by the neck if you have to. Like, yeah. I'm not that guy. Yeah. I never have been. <laughs> The guy you're sitting down across from right now, and we're having this conversation. This is me, yeah. and it's not much different than what you hear on Laser if you listen to my right. afternoon show. Certainly not different from when I'm interviewing a, a subject. And you know, I take on interviews with people I find fascinating. And if I find you fascinating, chances are that I've got a passion there, and I'm gonna be prepared, <laughs> and it's gonna be awesome. So yeah, I think there was a time there where you know I was told like we got to this has got to be shorter, more concise, maybe more entertaining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not entertaining. <laughs> are you not entertained? Right. What What are you trying to say? <laughs> My style has always suited me. And I'm not trying to be anything I'm not, so fuck it, you know. <laughs> if it doesn't, it, it's worked out so far. If someday they decide it doesn't work here, it'll work somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And in doing those and doing the, the Metallica ones, it was probably a lot more relaxed and you weren't on time air constraints and you can just let it breathe, which Boy. would be the most perfect ideal situation. <laughs> Except for the fact that I was borderline shitting my pants, that I was there. <laughs> like, we're sitting at the table that you see prominently featured in some kind of monster. They were just sort of getting the HQ facility together. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those band meetings where Lars is screaming in James' face, that was the table we were sitting at. That's all. That table. <laughs> like, Kirk fucking Hammett was sitting in this chair right here. And we're waiting for Lars to arrive, you know, me and the production guy and uh, management guy. We're all sitting around. Lars comes walking in from the side door, and he looks over at us like, oh, yeah, there's a thing today. Like... Oh, you know. man. But he came over and he, he, hey, I'm Lars. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah, no shit. Andy Hall, here to host the Master of Puppets special. Great to meet you again. Yeah. Uh, it's hard not to be nervous for a big spot like that. But if you're prepared enough, you just do it. You put your head down, you do it. There was plenty of time to enjoy the surroundings and take in the whole experience. And I did after. All yeah. the work, after the work was done. Yeah. <laughs> Made sure you knocked everything down. Yeah, including, uh, you know, like Doris, Lady Justice's head, the full concrete thing hanging above me in the rehearsal space. And oh, wow. If this thing fell and crushed me right now, that would be the greatest way to die. <laughs> Do you still have contact? Is there any possible stuff, like, going on down the road? Like, we were talking about the, the thing that could get you to leave, like, traveling Metallica podcasts would be probably right up there. <laughs> because they're like one of the only people that could make that happen. You know? I'm, you know what? I'm full of ideas. Um, some things I have time for right now. Some things I'm holding on to until I have the time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always the passion, though. I'll tell you what, you know. And and are there going to be more opportunities down the road? While I can't give you a definitive answer on that, Brian, I can tell you right here and now that absolutely <laughs> there's gonna be more of that. You know why? Because because that's what I want. Yeah, I'm, I'm aiming for that. Yeah, so I guess kind of finishing up here, I guess got a couple more. Sure. Uh, we talked first impressions of Des Moines once you came, uh, a homeless young soul from up north, and then you put roots down, you have a family. 
What is your impression now? Des Moines become a pretty cool place. Yeah. Not going to lie. I mean, when it was first, when I first moved here, I wasn't sure what to make of it. Smaller than Minneapolis. The people were different. They were friendly, but they were different. <laughs> Everything was just a little bit different. Yeah. But over time, like I've embraced all that different. And I actually really dig this place. I live in Ankeny, which isn't too far from Des Moines. Enjoy that commute in where I can look at the uh, 801 Grand Building and see it almost all the way in mm-hmm. and just follow it all the way downtown <laughs> to work every day. And uh, hell, even when I was driving over here tonight, I came across Ingersoll driving down Fleur, and I looked left as I came up on the MLK turn there and just how pretty our city looks at night. Yeah. Like, I wish I took more time to appreciate shit like that. <laughs> because it is it's a cool place it mm-hmm. really is i gone are the days i think of dead moin i always thought that was kind of lazy anyway when people <laughs> said shit like that but now i really believe so because i think that there's a lot more going on here now than there ever was oh for sure and i think it's only gonna get better yeah no reason to leave <laughs> let's plug it out i know it's not football season anymore but you had your own podcast mm. another football show yeah, I started off by doing a full-on fantasy show called 515 Fantasy, which is still an RSS feed that you can go back and listen to old archived shows. A friend, friend of mine and I, Brian Eikenberry, we used to host it, and then it even got aired on our ESPN affiliate in the Des Moines Radio Group. There, oh, nice. Which was really cool. Yeah, just kind of a, a lucky connection there, I guess. Yeah. But uh, Brian left the show. Long story short, I jumped on with the uh, Just Another Football Show guys last year for the first time and uh, was really proud of the work i did there i'm big into fantasy football i'm big into sports in general mm-hmm. uh i came here tonight directly from a des moines buccaneers game and i know i'm the public address announcer for the team so <laughs> yeah i mean i still love to be involved i still love i mean I played three sports growing up and it was always a constant thing so it's cool to go back and be able to do that in my spare time yeah of what little i have uh anything else you got any other projects personal projects websites that people can go and listen like the pack. Do you have like your own SoundCloud page where we can listen to like the old interviews that you had? Yeah. Yeah. I um post a lot of my content uh with uh, the station's mm-hmm. SoundCloud page because they haven't paid for my own SoundCloud page. <laughs> right. So the name of the actual page is Moose Tracks because our morning show is the morning moose and mm-hmm. they post a lot of content there. I post all my interviews there. You can always go to laser1033.com and check out my own personal page where I have all my shit archived there, all my interviews and everything. Um, But yeah, SoundCloud's a thing. I'm on social media, Andy Hall Radio, a lot of cases, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, that's... um, that's me. That's it in a nutshell. A man <laughs> of many passions. Well, thank you, Andy, for coming and doing this, man. It's fucking very enlightening for me. So. Well, if you uh, don't mind me saying it, I've always been a fan of the Pants Off podcast. It's a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> I appreciate all the cool bands you've turned me on to, and I want to let local bands know that just because you have an idea of what Laser is in your head, and maybe you're in a band that doesn't fit what you think Laser does, fuck all that. Send me your music. I want to hear it. As long as you're cool with some feedback, and some are and some aren't, Brian, you know this, mm-hmm. um, I, I always get feedback, and sometimes I even put your shit on the air. Mm-hmm. I uh, I host Local Lick every weeknight at 11.59 p.m. Yeah. Instead of calling it midnight Wednesday when it's actually Tuesday night or whatever the whole <laughs> thing. I just say 11.59. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm always inviting people every single night when I play a, a local song, um, and I think... You know, it's now it's everything from the new Holy White Hound stuff to Hex Girls to, you know, Macho Manson's got his thing going on now. It's pretty rad. I fucking love that stuff. James is, <laughs> he's killing it, man. Gotta say, Druids have their new shit coming and that also big CD release show April 20. I mean, I had, uh, I had, you know, one of the guys from the band along with Brent from Holy White Hounds in at Laser to announce the CD release show a couple weeks back and fuck. Had a great time. It was my first time meeting. I think it was Luke that came Luke, in. Luke, yeah. Out. Was he talkative that night? He's kind of a, he's kind of a, he's coming out of his shell a little bit. I he... disarmed him. Oh, nice. Before we hit the air and before Brent showed up, uh, Luke and I talked about our mutual love of lots of things. I think he, we have a lot in common, he and I. Mm-hmm. Metallica mostly. Oh, of course. Uh, so I think he was already in a talkative <laughs> mood because of that and realized like who I am and my 
connections to Metallica and that yeah. just helped. So And it, yeah, he's on the radio. He needs to fucking promote his show. So. I made a new friend that day. <laughs> That's so that was awesome. exciting for Luke me. Luke is the shit. I love Luke. Yeah. So there's all kinds of like don't worry about it if you're in a band that, you know, Christopher the Conquered has been on my airwaves, you know, mm-hmm. because I love his stuff. Yeah. Um and that might be something gloom balloon bands like that that you wouldn't think of be on laser. Yeah. Again, fuck all that. I want to play good shit it's about the song it's not necessarily about your idea of what laser is yeah so fuck yeah well thanks man i appreciate you coming and doing this you bet man it's been a pleasure Seems like you guys bring in the same bands every single year.